Good morning. Kind of learn the the setup here, and uh, I've really appreciated meeting those of you that I've got to meet so far. Um, I'd never heard of Oak Ridge before. Actually, the superintendent Glenn contacted me, and then for coming here, I'd obviously never been. And it's a fascinating place, and um, you know, I think you guys are blessed to to be from here and to live here. And so, thank you for introducing my family to that. Uh, I'd like to pray uh, one more time for us before we open the Word. Father God, thank you so much that uh, that we can gather like this, that we have the freedom to do so. Uh, but Lord, thank you for giving us uh, the the direction of your word that we can be instructed. And Lord, I pray for that this morning. I pray that that it's it's your words, that's the intent of this passage that comes out, that your Holy Spirit fills me and fills everyone in here. And Lord, you you wrote uh, you wrote this passage and and you included it, and it has to do with distractions um, from you. And I, I pray that in this moment, uh, whatever we brought, that you will help us to rid, us, rid ourselves of that distraction and, and hear you only and see you only. And Lord, we just ask that we can meet with you this morning. Lord, bless this church. Lord, you know it's everything that they've been through. And, and you know what you intended uh, when you when you started and when and you maintain this church and what this the future of this church has and Lord I pray for that I pray for your mission through them in Jesus name Amen. Uh, the uh, the sermon title this morning is one thing and I appreciate the bulletin I saw that and I, somebody was thoughtful in finding that that picture. Um, but our, our text is Luke 10:38 through 42. And before we open that and look at that, I want to talk to you just a minute about worship. And I really appreciated the, that was a, a, a wonderful time of worship that we just had. Um, is it Paul? Paul, okay, I appreciate you leading that. Um, that's, that, that was a blessing to me. Um, but when we think about worship, we think about, uh, both the singing that we just did and the doing, you know, living out our, our worship before God. And, and there's times where in the history of the church we've kind of leaned one way or the other, where maybe there's not actions tied to our, our, our words and our praises, and then sometimes maybe that's all action and no praise. And so I wanted to read you a quote from Tim Keller as he ponders that, 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 um, that question. He says, is worship primarily what happens on Sundays when we do specific activities of singing, praying, offering, confessing, and so on? Or is worship primarily the way we live all of life for the honor of the Lord in such a way that Sunday gatherings are no more worship than any other time of the week? Well, then D.A. Carson kind of says it's, it's the combination. It's, uh, he says, Christian worship embraces both adoration and action. Well, then we have Diedrich Bonhoeffer in the, in the uh, tension of Nazi Germany. And he leans very much on the action side. He says, without action in the world, the adoration of God is empty and hypocritical and degenerates into irresponsible and godless quietism. Well, then we have 
the, the Scriptures. We have James. James 2, 17. It says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He also says, uh, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Well, our passage is, um, is right after a passage about doing. It, it comes right after the story of the Good Samaritan. And everything I've heard about your church, you, you are a well-taught people. And, and you know that story. You know the story I'm about to, to preach on today. And so you know the story of the Good Samaritan in that Jesus, when he's speaking about how to love your neighbor, he says, love them by, by caring for them in their time for, of need. Do, do this. Do something. And so on the hills of saying, be doers, we then get this story where he says, it says, be doers, but when I'm in the room, stop doing and worship. Let's read that together. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So I want to ask you, are you a Mary or a Martha? And, and neither are bad. Uh, both are Jesus' friends, and, and we all have our giftings and our personalities. And I'll tell you that I've been both. Um, and I, I remember back in college, which is getting farther and farther back, um, that I, I, was, I was very active to minister to my peers. And it was ministry, ministry, ministry and very little prayer uh, uh, and quiet time before God. It was, it was ironic, but that, that was very real, that I could be so busy telling people about Jesus, but not talking to Jesus. And so that, that has made a profound impact on me moving forward. And I want to reiterate as we look at this passage that, that neither, uh, neither activity, the Martha serving uh, and preparing food, nor... Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet are wrong, but I do want to say that one is better. And by better, I mean better for us. It's not only better for us, but it's the only activity that is truly necessary. Now, while you're thinking about that, let me give you a, a little background and context of the passage briefly. Uh, the village that they, that they came to was Bethany. And uh, you see a, a picture of, uh, it's a typical house in Israel in the first century. Um, the front of that, that area on the ground would be just like a court, courtyard where the animals would be kept. And then the living quarters would be um, inside, you know, back behind there. And I just want you to see that, that it's, a, it's not a grand place. And obviously Martha had some means in that she was able to host, but she wasn't super wealthy in that she was the one actually serving, uh, and the only other helper would have been Mary, um, whom was not helping. And so, so it was a humble, humble uh, setting, and like any 
a small group gathering. I don't know if you guys gather at each other's houses at times, but the more people come, you just, you just adjust. And so whether they would have been able to handle that space or had to move out in the courtyard, I don't know. And I don't know how many were with Jesus. But, but still, it was a, it was a humble uh, atmosphere. And I want to talk uh, briefly about, in Bethany, let me just clarify that, that that was very close to Jerusalem, probably two miles away. You could walk two miles in, uh, in 40 minutes. Uh, a funny story, I, in college I took walking fitness for whatever reason, um, and, and I had to walk, we had to be timed in our walking, and, and I won the competition. I, won, I walked two miles in 19 minutes and 55 seconds which is honestly really hard because you had to start over if you, if you started to trot or jog. It had to be walk. So I would say an hour, you know, if you're just walking normally. <clears throat> um, and Mary, uh, well, let me, let me speak on Martha first. Martha was following the, the hospitality code of that time, and she was true to it, and she was a good host, and it meant a lot to her. And that whole culture, hospitality was a, was a huge val- value. And it was something that um, would have been frowned on if she wasn't doing what she was doing. Mary, on the other hand, was doing the opposite of what culture would have asked her to do. Uh, in the Mishnah, which is the oral... Uh, there you go. Um, the oral tradition of Judaism, and it was an authoritative law code, it says, if any man give his daughter a knowledge of the law, it is, it is though he taught her lechery. And lechery it has to do with lustfulness and promiscuity. And so it's a pretty strong statement that Mary was not supposed to be formally sitting under a rabbi's feet and, and learning as a disciple. But yet she was. And Jesus was allowing that. So Mary was doing something completely counterculture. She wasn't helping with the meal. Martha was working so hard, she was being a doer, and she was adhering to what she was supposed to. So you think about, again, if you're a Mary or a Martha, and what, what you would have been doing during that time. And, and you have to be honest, you know, what would, have I, what would I have been doing? Well, then, then there's Jesus. And, and when you think of Jesus, you have to know that there was no higher being that could have graced her doorstep in that time. No higher being. And they, got to, they ate with him. And they touched him. And, and sometimes when we hear a story of Jesus, we forget the, greatest, the greatness of him. We, think, or we forget the, that he's our creator. And when he looked at them and when he looks at us, he's able to speak those pointed things like he did with Martha. I, I love the, the picture of, of his hand on her shoulder and that it is a tender address. And speaking her name twice, it, it's, it's very tender. But because he's her creator, and he sees into her soul, the same he sees into ours, he sees every, every pain, every hurt, every concern, every hope, every tendency and gifting and weakness, he sees all that, and he can speak right to us. And, and this, was, this was who was in her, uh, in her house. The Scripture says that in, in John 1, 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this is God in human flesh. In Hebrews 1, 
It says, In these last days God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So even in that moment, He's upholding the universe as He's put His hand on, on Martha's shoulder. That's, that's a fascinating thing as far as who was in this household. Martha is doing something very typical of, of my kids, <laughs> um, of, of most of us who have siblings, and especially when we were younger. We look, and when we have to do something that is difficult, we wonder what the rest of the folks are doing. And we look and we say, why is this person not doing, doing that? We do that, though, as adults, in that we compare our lives sometimes, and we compare trials, we compare blessings, and we're like, Lord, I want this, and I'm trying this, and I want to be here, and I want to serve you, but you're making it so hard. And for this, these folks over here, it's not so hard. It doesn't look like it. Uh, but that's our default way of, way of thinking. So Martha, Martha, again, she's doing something very typical of us as humans. And she, 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 I believe she truly loves the Lord. I mean, that's why she's working so hard. She, she is serving, and this is her gift. This is her thing. This is what she's, she's, she's good at, and she's doing that. And I, I really believe her intent and her excitement was all good. It just, in this moment, she let the task distract her from the Master. The, the, the service became bigger than, than he was. And then Jesus, he makes her aware of, of, what, of her priorities in that moment. And I want to clarify what the one thing is. If we look back up uh, higher in the passage, it says that Mary was, was, had sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to his teaching. And so, at the very least... It's listening to Jesus' teaching, the one thing. It's the, at the very least, it's that. But I want to present to you that it's more than that, that it's Jesus himself, that it's, it's his presence, his person. Our one thing and the only necessary thing is Jesus himself, not just doing things for him, not just listening to his instruction, but being in his presence, allowing ourselves to worship that's the one thing. And that's the thing I don't, I don't want to miss today, which is very possible. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss it tomorrow. Monday's coming. You know, the, uh, there's this um, old African-American preacher that uh, there's a, it's a popular ser- sermon that it goes, um, uh, today's Monday, but Sunday's coming. And, and he preaches that over and over throughout the whole sermon. And, and I kind of uh, tend to think oppositely uh, when I'm preaching, is that, yes, this is Sunday, but Monday's coming. You've got to be able to apply this on Monday. You need to be able to see the one thing on, on Monday. And it's easier to see Jesus when you're in this setting, when we're singing about Him, when we're talking about Him, when everything's quiet and we're sitting still. But I want you to see the one thing on Monday. And then one last thing as far as context and, and exegesis, the, um, the good portion uh, in our last...
verse there. Mary has chosen the good portion. And uh, that is a comparative term. Uh, the ESV, as, you, as, you, as we read, uh, it translates the scriptures more word for word. And, and in the Greek, there is a word for good and a word for portion or part. And, and even if you just leave it like that, then it's still comparing because he could have said this portion. He could have said, um, uh, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen this portion as opposed to that portion. But no, he, he used a, a qualifier and said the good portion. And so then the NIV and, and the uh, New, New Revised Standard Version, they go farther in their translation. They just translate it farther and say the whole sense of the phrase and the context is that it is the better portion. And then the, the Net Bible, it, uh, because it's, it's a comparison of two things, it's not only better, it is the best portion. And so all of those are true. All those are right. And I want, you, I want us to come away with that, knowing that, that um, out of the things that we can do before God, in our worship, in our, our, our life of worship, in our songs of worship, the best portion, the best part, is in fact the face-to-face with Jesus when we're not doing anything. Okay? And that's not to discount all these verses that, that, that talk about doing and preparing us to be Martha's, to be out in the world fighting the good fight and finishing the course with our hands and feet and our mouth and doing things. But the best portion, the best part, is face-to-face with Jesus. So, in, in trying to put that into our context... I, I want to encourage us in three things. I want us to first recognize our own distractions. Re- and I'm, I'm encouraging you, uh, as I'm encouraging myself, recognize your distraction. And all of us have them. Whatever they, they could be good or bad, but they're, they're things that kind of clutter our mind when we're trying to focus on Jesus and, and pray to Him and think about Him and see Him clearly. So recognize your distraction redirect your eyes then, once you've recognized it, redirect your eyes to Jesus. And then, as much as you can, drop everything else and sit at the feet of Jesus. Choose that better portion. Being with Him is our one necessary thing. And I'll clarify as we, before we move further that I say as much as you can. Uh, I know there's times in my life where somebody has said, you, you have to have a quiet time. You need to wake up at 4 a.m. and you need to have that quiet time. You, you should be singing praises right now. And there's this imperative. Well, there is an imperative. God does command us to worship Him. But they, at the same time, He wants authentic worship. And I know the difference for me. There's plenty of times when I've, I've sung the songs and mouthed the words and my heart did, did not sing them. And I know the difference. But also, though, there's those times where, where uh, he shows up, where I see him as he is, and everything fades. There's no, uh, I can't see the clutter anymore. I can't see the distraction. All I see is him because he's that big, that bright, that compassionate, that gracious to me. And, and it's just a default that everything fades. And so, 
So in that, I, don't, I didn't state that as an imperative. Um, as much as you can, I want you to put yourself in that situation where you do drop everything and you sit at the feet of Jesus and, and you choose that better portion. So on our first point, recognizing our distraction, I ask you, what is your chaos? And I, and I like to use the word chaos when I think of distraction because it helps us to think of the big picture chaos. You know, in Genesis 3, we have the fall when the world went from order to disorder and, and the ground was cursed, everything was cursed, and since then, there, everything's out of sorts. And if you've been in ministry very long, your heart breaks for the things that you see. You see that, uh, that people that you love, people that, that you want to um, be blessed are sometimes not blessed. People that you want to find Jesus sometimes don't find Him. And lives, lives get torn apart. Dysfunction happens. And we know that there is, there's chaos in the world. So bigger picture is the, 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 a creation that groans. It says in Romans 8 that we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. We watch the news and we see the groanings uh, across our nation. In our little slice of America, we see the groanings. Each of our lives touches other lives and we see the chaos. We're not immune to it. You can't be in, in, this, in this life. We're all mortals. We all get tired and we all get hungry and we, we all get sick. We all struggle. But, but apart from the external things, there's internal chaos. There's, there's things that we wrestle with, with our doubts, our fears, our lusts, our anger, uh, our hopes, our excitement. There, there's so many things. And I, I listed a few things, um, even our, our financial problems. You know, I think of negative things that distract us. Uh, our finances, our relationships, that's a biggie. If there's anything, um, even people that I don't know very much over, over the history of my life, if there was someone that was angry with me, uh, man, you, that sticks at you. I mean, you might not even know them. It might be somebody that uh, I remember uh, I used to do lawn and landscape, and I would have to take my uh, the debris from the, the yards to the landfill, and you had to have it tarped. And, uh, and I got there one day right as they were closing, and the guy, and I didn't have it tarped. And I, and I knew if I didn't drop the... The, the debris off, then it threw my job off the next day, and it cost me money. And the guy would not let me in, and it was just a discernment thing. He could have let me in, but he didn't. And I had words with him. Uh, I was very frustrated, and I, I talked about his, he got paid either way. I didn't get paid unless I finished my, my job that day. And Man, that ate at me for a couple weeks. I just, I just could not, I could not worship the Lord. I, it just bothered me, the things that I had said, regardless of right or wrong, I, I held that. And not until I went back to the landfill, found the guy, and said, man, that's what I said to you, and, and I hate it. I'm sorry. And then I could move on. But I, that's just a small relationship, a very um, peripheral relationship. When it comes to our homes, our spouses, uh, that's even bigger. Those are huge distractions. Uh, health problems, we all deal with that. Loss, loneliness, that's huge. 
Uh, the good things that could distract us are kids. Uh, they're good things, but, but they are chaos. <laughs> and uh, my wife has a, a plaque on the wall that says, uh, some call it chaos, we call it family. And I, that's a, they're a blessing. Uh, but but that's also a, can be a distraction. Um, in, in a setting like this, thinking of where to eat, you know, you're going to be. Well, actually, we've already talked about where we're eating, thankfully. But but you know, that's something. Especially when I was my my son's age, I was more thinking about where we were eating than uh, than the sermon. Um, we, we just came from Chicago, and sports was huge out, out there. And so even a sports championship, that would be uh, much larger on people's minds, even at church, the church we were attending sometimes, than, than the sermon that we were, we were dealing with. Um, and I just threw that in, the, the, that your dog has puppies. I'm working for a lady now that, that raises dogs. And, and, uh, and even something small like that can, can occupy our minds when, when we could direct our minds towards the Lord. So it's a, it's a moment-by-moment by, by moment ba- battle. It's not like we have the battle and we're focused on Jesus. Uh, Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and fi- finisher of our faith. Um, it's not like we just do that once and it's over. It's a moment-by-moment moment, uh, dealing with the things that compete with, with Christ. So I don't know if you're... I don't know you guys well enough to know if you're note takers, but it's something that you should you should write down uh, or just at least make a note of that this is my particular distraction. This is the thing that seems to loom heavy when I need to worship, when I want to worship, when I want to see Jesus. All right. So once you've identified your your chaos, your your little slice of chaos, then then you redirect your eyes to Jesus from the chaos to, to Jesus. And I want to speak of this in terms of an everyday week. I mean, there's, this is more, when you think of uh, the good portion, and we'll call, call what Martha was doing the okay portion. All right? She was doing something good, um, but we'll call that the okay. This is the good, the best portion, uh, just sitting before Jesus. And when I think of the okay portion... I, this past week, I was, um, you know, was somewhat stressful for me. Uh, I do construction, and and I have had a, a few deadlines to to get this lady's bathroom renovation ready uh, before a subcontractor came. And so, in that, I was like, and I, I was also preparing for this sermon, and I was like, well, how would I, how would I? focus on Jesus in the midst of this because this is not pleasant right now and this is this is stressful so how do I do that and and the best example I could come up with was how I relate to my wife in a social gathering and so when we're together and and we're in a a social place and we've got people to talk with we obviously don't get to talk to one another very much and we there's there's no intimacy there there's no um uh, close conversation, but there's a look, and there's a touch, and there's um, you know a quick word. You know, are you okay? Um, how's it going? And but that look and that touch, it says something. It says, I'm with you. I believe what you believe. I'm going where you're going, and that's a special thing. 
And so I relate that to how I interact with the Lord on the job in the week. In that I don't, that's not the time that I get to do the, the best portion. That's not the time that I get to sit at His feet. But I do get to abide with Him and conversate with Him and, and, t- and touch base. You know, Lord, help me. Lord, uh, I'm not quitting. And when I say I'm not quitting, I'm not, I'm not quitting the following in this stressful moment. Um, and there's this exchange, this conversation that happens with the Lord throughout that week where I'm, I'm redirecting my eyes from this chaos, from the things distracting me, and it's, it's a needed thing. People, with Martha's case, people have to be fed. Babies have to be um, uh, taken care of. Uh, there's things that have to be done, but I can still redirect my focus to, to Jesus with a look, with a touch, with a, with a quick word, in that I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging Him as I do my task. Uh, Martha almost missed Jesus. She, she was, she, she was going to get the food right, but she almost missed Him. And once again, He's the, the highest human, the highest being that could have come to her door. She almost missed Him in that, in that engagement. I don't know if you've ever felt like you missed Christmas. Um, I, I have. Uh, and, and, you know, in the busyness, we all have these traditions that are wonderful, but, but it's very easy to, to go through that, that season of, of gifts and church gatherings and home visits and lights and, and songs, and, and I guess they start playing Christmas carols now. At, um, it's before Halloween now, I think, uh, but at least, at least by Halloween. Uh, which I like. I like Christmas carols, but but at the same time, it's a busy season because we're also trying to do our regular lives in the midst of the celebrations, and and sometimes you get to uh, uh, December 26, and you're like, it's it's over. What where did it go? And where is Jesus? And that's that's not a. a a rebuke, that's just natural for, for a lot of us. But we can do the same thing because the Savior is gracing our doorstep. He says, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the world. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And He has indwelt us with the Holy Spirit. I know most of you here are believers. And you have the Holy Spirit. It's His Spirit that's with you. And He's here. He is gracing us with His presence. And we don't want to miss that. We don't want to miss Him. You know, one thing I appreciate about Pentecostals, you know, whatever differences I may have theologically on, on some minor things, doesn't take away from what I, I appreciate, that when they gather, they gather to meet with God as opposed to talk about God. So it, they come to their meeting with this anticipation that I'm going to interact with the Creator of the universe. And that's a... There's something attractive about that. I also want to state that the more we're in conversation with God, as I mentioned um, in our our daily, uh, I don't again. I, I I'd love to meet you guys and figure out what you do in your daily um, activity. Um, but when we're doing that, the more we're in conversation with God, doing the okay portion. Um, the more that we're ready to be in conversations with others about Him. It's like there's times where I've been so busy that, 
that I just I feel like I, I, I'm out of touch with him. I mean, I'm still a child of God. I'm still his son, his adopted son. Uh, but, but I just haven't talked with him in a while, and, and it's hard to just feel connected and to even describe him. But times when I, I have been in conversation, somebody comes up to me, and, and there's an opportunity to describe the gospel or describe you know, something about my faith then if I've seen him and I, and I got that, that vision of him so clearly in my mind, then those words come out just so descriptively and so articulately. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a word. Um, but but that, that is something that, that it's a gift to us. If we can stay connected with him, we can, make, we can help others be connected. And I would just say a quick aside to our to our leaders, to us as leaders, whoever leads, teaches, um, leads singing. Our job is to, to see the Father, to see the face of the Son. And maybe the people that, that we're leading haven't seen it as clearly, as clearly. Or maybe if they're non-believers, they haven't seen Him at all. And so our job, it's almost like we've got the, the um, periscope out of the submarine and we got it and we're looking and we see We've got that, that vision of who he is and, and what he's done, and we're relaying that message until the point that they say, let me, let me have a look, let me see. And that's kind of our job is to make it so clear and to lead them not only to this desire to see, but to touch the feet of Jesus, to, to have that relationship with him, where it's not just uh, a prayer that we pray. When we think of evangelism, the end goal is not just salvation. It's not, uh, it's not just that they would pray a prayer. The end goal is that they would worship. That's what, that's what we're all bound for, that, that close relationship at the foot of the cross. So I wanted to um, express that with uh, Jim Cimbala's quote. Um, he's he's uh, taking this from Hebrews 4.16. He said, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, and when, he's, when that's speaking of prayer and just approaching God with conversation, it's an interaction with God. It's no longer just about God, it's an interaction with Him. And it says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help Him in time of need. The quote's a little bit longer than what you see up there. It says, um, The preacher, if he does his job, is supposed to get people to the throne of grace. If a gospel singer really does his job, you're going to answer up one day, because God is going to say to you, did you bring people where the action was at the throne of grace? And this is a, this is a strong statement. This is, um, and that's why in, in James it says teachers are under a greater condemnation. Because it is our job to bring people all the way to Jesus. Um, he says, if you have just entertained them, woe unto you because at the throne of grace I could have changed their life. Pastors, did you dazzle them with your footwork and try to be clever, or did you make Jesus wonderful so that they could come to the throne of grace? The worship ser- if the worship service does not end up with someone touching God and praying, who are we kidding? That is a strong statement, but it is so true, and it, is, it does call us to our purpose. All right, so the last thing I would encourage you in is that as much as you can, you drop everything else and sit at the feet of Jesus. 
This is the good portion. Choose that better portion. Being with Him is our necessary thing. So I, 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 just, I can't draw the distinction enough that there is a difference in the activity and the, the worship. Um, that kind of worship. There's, a, there's an okay worship and then there's the better portion. And so I want to encourage you in that. And it's, and it's something that is, is relatively recent for me to latch on to this in a, in a passionate way. Um, I, think, uh, I think the Lord has he's, he's convinced me that worship is not a chore. It's, it's a release. It's a, a place where um, I can escape to. When, I, when all my, my concerns, my chaos is crashing in, and Jesus outshines them, and in that moment I just see Him, then, then I'm free of those things. You ever think about the, the things you can't figure out, the things you regret, the things that are painful? And you just, not only, you, one, our prayer is usually that, that He would just fix those things. But, but at the very least, let me be free from a little, for a little while. And that's what worship is. It's an escape from those things. And it's not the kind of escape that we experience when we're on Netflix uh, or any other type of screens. I, I don't know, with, uh, with young kids, we, we battle screens and, and what those boundaries should be. Um, but even myself, when, when I was in seminary, we had to sit in a library uh, all day long. And so there would be 12 hours where I'd be at this table and I had this insurmountable amount of work that I was supposed to accomplish. And the other guys did as well. And a lot of times we sat together at the table. But to get through that 12 hours, you had to get up every now and then and get some coffee or, or just step outside. Or, or for, for me, sometimes it was Netflix or, or YouTube, you know, finding up the, the latest, the greatest dunk of the week on the, uh, for the basketball uh, channels. Um, but, but that's an escape from reality. And what I'm talking about in worship, in this better portion, this, con- this deliberate worship, is an escape to reality, to the reality. There's no greater reality. Out of everything that we think is real and permanent, the, the only thing that is permanent is Him and our interaction with Him. That's why when Jesus says, Martha, you, you have many things that you're, you're, you're frustrated with, many things. But one thing is necessary. One thing is essential. And one thing is eternal. All these other things that we're concerned about, they are, they're a big deal to us right now, but they're not a big deal in the long run. And so, so that is our encouragement, that we would escape to Him, that we would, uh, that we would clear everything and, and worship. So, I need to say a little more about Mary in that she, she was, we already said that she was going against the culture, cultural norms in, being, in doing what she was doing. She defied everything, defied what she should have been doing and then went even farther to, to go into what they would call male space of that culture just to be with Jesus, to be near Him. She, she didn't think about those things. And the, the thing about that is if there were any other itinerant preacher, any other rabbi that had come by Martha's house, 
then Mary would have been rightly rebuked and, and something about her behavior would have been pronounced as sinful. But because it was Jesus, she was the most right and most honored. And that's, that's just the, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that uh, He breaks every mold, every boundary, every bondage, and every cultural norm. He is worth setting all that aside. And Mary is consistent. Uh, there's a later story in, in uh, the Gospel of John, John 12, where uh, right before Jesus' crucifixion, he stops by their house again. And I'll read this for you in uh, John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for, for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table, just to clarify the miracle that had happened. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the, his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? And that would be, um, uh, as uh, Bill pointed out in Sunday school, uh, there's about one denarius per, per day's wage. So 300 would be about a year's wage. Uh, why was this not sold and given to the poor? He said, this, he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So once again, if this had been any other rabbi that Mary was doing this to, then Judas' statement would, by, in principle would have been right. She would have been a, a poor steward of, of that resource. And she would have been uncaring towards the poor that, that could have been provided for. But because it was Jesus, and because worshiping Him trumps everything else that we could do that's good, then she was right, and she was honored. So I want to clarify, uh, before we come to a summary, that what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. Uh, you know, sometimes that's uh, a philosophical kind of abstract say, saying to sit at the feet of, of a fleshly Jesus who is not here in the flesh at the moment. Uh, but what I mean by that, uh, in, in the broad sense, it's any time that there's a lo loving exchange between us and Him. All right, Whatever that looks like. And that's going to look different for you than it is for me. And the way you interact and speak with Jesus what, what brings that exchange between you and Him is, is probably going to look different for each of us. But in the bigger, bigger sense, that's what it is. It's, it's that loving exchange with Him. It's, not, not, it's more than talking about Him, more than hearing about Him. It's that exchange with Him. And so, in practical ways, that, what that kind of looks like, it's a time of prayer. Some of the obvious things that you, you would have uh, mentioned yourself, um, but singing praises... Bible reading and listening to Him, and corporate worship like this. Um, those are exchanges with Him, or they can be. 
So let me summarize uh, kind of where we've been. Our one thing, once again, is, is the only necessary thing, and it is Jesus himself. It's more than uh, just listening to him and more, more than doing things for him. It's being in his presence and allowing ourselves to worship. Our, our plan of attack is to recognize our chaos or our distraction. It's, it's, it's unique to each of us. Redirect our eyes then to Christ. And, it, and at the very least, abide in him through our, our okay activities. Through, the, through that, that period of our week, we abide with him. We connect with him. And then, as much as we can, when we, we, we see the opportunity, we drop it all. We drop those okay activities and we sit at his feet. and We worship. So let me apply this to us. And I would suggest two things. One, as I mentioned before, don't see your time with Jesus at and worship as a chore. And I remember when I first read about the four beings around the throng scene, holy, 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 uh, I was like, man, that seems so boring. <laughs> um, but honestly, it's, it's, it's just not that. It's, uh, I think um, uh, when, when I think of the, the release and the breath of fresh air that worshiping is, and, and me really seeing it as a relief and as, a, as that restfulness, I think the Lord had to make my life heavy enough to where I would appreciate that. And, and he accommodated. Um, and he accommodates all of us in that way to where, to where we need to set it aside. And he says, when he says uh, that he is the vine and we are the branches, that apart, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it takes us a while to realize that. It takes us a while to, to need to depend on Him to do anything. And that's what worship it reminds us of. And in that moment, it's, it's all Him. All our life, all our doings, all our hopes, all our dreams, it's just Him in that moment. All right, the second thing that I would, I would uh, encourage you uh, in, in how to apply this would be to say, to put yourself in situations where authentic worship can happen. And I mentioned that it's kind of an organic thing. You know, sometimes I can say the words and, and I just can't seem to get my heart to catch up. And so you say them anyway, um, and sometimes it catches up. But, um, but I've found that there's certain situations that, that when I put myself in, that that authentic worship can take place. And one is a quiet time, um, listening to praise music. I, I don't know if Chip heard me sing through the uh, mic, um, but he would find out really quick that listening is my gift and, uh, um, and not singing. But, but for me personally, um, praise songs are, are, the time, are one of the most frequent times that I find myself in authentic worship. Um, there are times of prayer by myself. Um, there are times of sharing the gospel in which, you know, I just know in this moment I'm so excited to, to express this truth to this person and I feel like somehow the, the, 
the Holy Spirit is involved, and I'm, and it's a, it's an act of worship. It's, it's. I feel like I'm truly um, able to worship in that moment. Um, but singing praise songs, both as as a group as, as we did, uh, being with other Christians, sometimes that that kind of triggers that moment where you can be in uh, in authentic worship, and being out in His creation in nature. That's something that um, doesn't happen for all of us. Uh, I know uh, I've probably already told you too much about myself, but um, my dad dropped me off in the in the mountains uh, for 30 days one time right out of college, and I had this idea that I was going to be closer to the Lord. And all I did was get cold and almost die and have to hitchhike home. <laughs> and um, And so... That's not always the solution, but for some people, um, it's the solution. It, it'll, it, it, so I, I mentioned that. It's a, it can be a good thing. Um, but, but, there, but for each of us, there's something that, that triggers, uh, or it's just a situation that you know is, is more conducive to authentic worship. And you, de- you decide that and be intentional about it and find Him. So in closing, I would say that uh, the highest being of the universe is at your doorstep. He's with us. And He wants you to give yourself completely to Him. He desires a relationship with you. And we need to worship Him. Whether we think we need that or not, we need to. So I want to encourage you in this regard. And, and if there's a way that I can pray with you afterwards, uh, I would love to do that and help encourage you. Uh, if there's somebody here that 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 is not even sure they've met him for the first time, that you're not sure you're a Christian, then I invite you to to let today be that day that 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 you pray and I will help you with that and that there will be no days from here on out that you won't know that you're you're in his kingdom, that you're saved and that you're um, his son or daughter. So I invite you to that. I want to close in prayer and and then I'll uh, I'll ask Paul to sing your your last song. Father God, I thank you that you you are so worthy of worship. You make it easy if we can just see you, Lord. It's there's no doubt that we we have to bow. We have to set it all aside. And Lord, you see our struggle in this. You see the struggle that that we fight moment by moment to to be the faithful followers that that are in tune with what you want and with your heart and where you would like us to go. Lord, help us with that. Lord, bless our worship as we continue in this next few moments and as we continue uh, the the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen.